Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where the best season to jump on a trampoline is springtime. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale and exit, creating profitable growth, premium valuation, and shift from being an engaged business operator to an empowered strategic owner and the occasional teller of dad jokes, or maybe bad jokes, or maybe some combination of it. I just can't help it. Well, it is officially spring, at least here in Texas. So how do I know? I don't look at a calendar. And you can't really tell by the weather here because, you know, it's 30 degrees one day and 80 the next. And it's been crazy lately. But I spend a lot of time outside, a lot of time on the water, under the water anytime I can, hiking in the woods or mountains when I can get there. The first official day of spring for me is the day I walk into my first spider web of the year. And that happened this weekend, right in the face. I mean, the spider gets extra points when it's dark, which it was. And while I'm doing the dance, trying to get it off, there's always the question of what kind of spider was it? And of course, whether the spider is now a passenger. You know, do I have a rider hanging on there or did it make it to safety before the jolly white giant destroyed its creation? We kind of have a, a rule or maybe a joke in our family when we're hiking that the tallest person goes first. My wife and I have three kids, and funny enough, the heights are opposite of their birth order. My youngest is the tallest, and the middle one is pretty close, both about as tall as me. Our oldest is about the same height as my wife. It's kind of, kind of interesting just that those are backwards, age and, and height. The younger two will argue about who's tallest until that rule comes into play, and they're like, oh, no, you go first. But, you know, we all take turns leading regardless of height. Just kind of a joke. Still, the tallest person always ends up taking one for the team at some point. And what's really funny is usually is at night. And so it's just a crazy feeling to have whack, spiderweb right in the face. But, you know, I think entrepreneurial life is a lot like that. You know, we're just going along, doing our thing, solving problems and building a company. And then, boom, spiderweb right in the face. Somebody quits. Something breaks. Clients pay late, bugs break a new release, a server goes down, database is corrupted. I mean, it's, it's not fun, and you didn't necessarily do anything to deserve it, but while it's a natural part of life, it's, you know, it, it's one of those things that we go through, but it's, it's not a fun time. And sometimes we go through seasons like that. Sometimes it's calm for a while. Sometimes things couldn't be going better, and I hope you're in one of those times. Uh, and those are great, great times. But it's those spiderweb to the face moments that I think about. And it's when those things happen, be thankful. Like, what? Why in the world would I be thankful for a spider web in the face? But here's the thing. Leadership is a privilege. And having people who follow on the journey is an absolute honor. And part of our role as leaders is to protect and insulate our people from the negative. And sometimes that means taking an undeserved hit for the team so that they can keep on going uninterrupted. Most of all, be thankful for those moments because it usually means that there is movement. There's forward progress. Just shake it off. Adversity is a sign of life. Resilience is the mark of success. 
and the ability to bounce back to deal with crisis and come back even better is priceless. You know, I hope you don't get a spider web to the face, but when you do, and we all do, remember that it might just mark the beginning of a new season in your business. Our sponsor today is Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a plan to scale your SaaS business from seven to eight figures. Avoid some of those spider-in-the-face moments by traveling with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Now, sometimes that peer support means keeping you calm while checking to make sure you don't have a spider or three riding on your shoulders, or maybe to flick it off of you. We can celebrate wins together and quickly rebound from those old spider webs to achieve profitable growth, impact, and freedom. Unleash a new season of growth for your SaaS at championleadership.com. Well, our founder guest on Tuesday was Ibrahim Assam, founder and CEO of eCourtDate, the multilingual communications platform for justice. Ibrahim saw a need and created a solution to serve tens of thousands, drive efficiency, and make the world a better place at the same time. And in last week's expert episode, we talked with the SaaS CFO, Ben Murray. Great financial info, what and when we need to prepare to raise or exit, and the latest insight into the metrics that matter for 2023. If you missed either one of those, go back and give them a listen. They're 100% spider-free, guaranteed. My current guest this week is Christopher Nelson, principal and co-founder of Wealthward Capital, a real estate investment firm, and he's also the author of From No Dough to IPO. Christopher is an experienced technology executive with two IPOs. The last one is an early employee of GitLab. Some of you know GitLab. Probably all of you know GitLab. Christopher teaches leaders how to achieve financial independence. He shows employees how to manage their career capital well, work for equity, and how all of us can have our income and exits work for us to create sustainable wealth. Welcome to SaaS Fuel, Christopher Nelson. Well, hey, Christopher, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get into the the business that you're in and in the equity world? Well, I got into this business because as I was working in technology consulting uh, for for many years, I realized that to get ahead, I had to start working for technology equity, right? And so it was then this transition of, you know, I'm working for a paycheck and a salary to now I'm working for a paycheck, salary, and equity that got me started on the journey because as I then, you know, was able to navigate and go through an IPO, an initial public offering, and and generate some wealth for myself and my family. It was where do we place that? What do we do? And in that journey of learning how to become a commercial real estate investor, creating syndications, yeah, I was I was asked by a group of friends to create a an investment for for us to put together and go out, and that's how Wealthwood Capital was started. So I think it's a lot of times fun to do deals with other people. Is that how you got involved in building the syndication and launching the company? Exactly. Uh, You know, it was really sitting around. There was a group of friends that we talked a lot about career and money. And we had this nice, you know, open forum where you could share everything. And as I was talking about the success that my wife and I had in making these commercial investments and participating in syndications, they leaned in and said, would you put something together for us? 
And I thought, wow, what a cool thing to do, right? Is put together yeah. a, a great investment package and share it with your friends. I do that as well and participate in a number of them. And I think it's, it's just a fantastic way to do that and to grow wealth. I mean, it's not just about preservation, but you want to continue that, to keep that growth path going. And it's fun to do with other people. It, it really is. And I think that to me, there's a very interesting flywheel effect that when you are excited about something and people can sense your excitement, they also know the detail and due diligence that you'll do as well. They then generate more excitement and it creates this, this great sort of win-win you know, energy around it. So tell me a little bit more about the, the IPO. How did that come about and what was that experience like? The IPO, and this is this is one of the things that you know I'm spending a lot of time writing about, and I want to give back into you know our community of technology employees is how do we actually think to go to work for equity, right? It's it's right. provided to us in working for a lot of technology companies is we get to be not just wage earners, but we also then get to be shareholders. So if we go back to you know the Kiyosaki you know, 101, it's, you know, you get to be not just uh, trading your time for money, but you have your money working for you as a part owner. Right. Well, the first time out, uh, I really got enamored with a, a founder's vision and the impact that he wanted to create and, you know, the, the excitement of the project. And I dove right in and that really resulted in nothing. It resulted in a lot of time and, and nothing from, you know, the financial perspective. Obviously, I learned a ton, but to, to get to an IPO, what I really had to do is, is a couple of things. Number one is I had to get comfortable having conversations about career and money, right? Many of us just don't feel like we can ask questions of how did you do that or why did you pick that company from right. a financial perspective? Right. And just, you know, getting uncomfortable and having that conversation. And that's after that first swing and a miss. What I did is you can call it perusing, you can call it LinkedIn stalking, but I literally looked at people on LinkedIn and saw, okay, hey, they'd worked for Google, for Netflix, and some of them pre and post IPO and had what I consider this amazing, you know, equity portfolio that I would love to have. And I started sliding into their DMs, having conversations with them. And that helped me understand that. Many people who work as employees for tech companies and do it well and have multiple exits, whether those are acquisitions or IPOs, think like an investor. They do due diligence on the company. And the higher up the ladder you go, when you think about CFOs, CEOs, COOs, chief revenue officers, everybody is going to do due diligence on that company very deeply before they trade their time and talent for the equity. That's what I did the second time around, and I ended up being employee 417 in a company called Splunk. And when we went through our IPO in 2012, you know, that was our, our first big win, our first home run. So what do, what do founders do if they don't have, you know, big names in their, their background, a big track record like that? How do they attract the best and brightest? Well, that's a great question. I think how they attract the best and brightest is they need to make sure that they're focused also on the underlying fundamentals of the company, right? As we see out there today amongst founders, you know, there are a lot of founders that, you know, have this bootstrap mindset, you know, and again, and I'm not saying that's the only way that you can get funded, but if you really are thinking about how is this company going to make money, when you then get an infusion of capital to grow, you're going to scale a business model that's based on true financial success. You know, I think if you really want to attract the best and brightest, 
there has to be a clear way where you're saying, here's your equity that I'm giving you. And here's the way that we're going to translate that into value. And I think you and I both know, Jeff, that the people who attract the greatest talent are the ones who have a track record of success. And that can be, you know, hey, they grow it to an acquisition, uh, you know, they grow it to an IPO, you know, but I think that that those people that have that tried and true success are going to definitely attract more. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense. So do you think a lot of employees really approach it with the mindset of doing due diligence on the company? Or are they more interested in just the, the work or the project or just building something cool? Well, it's it's interesting that I think that we're in the middle of a of a mindset shift. I think for many years, especially when people were going into an office and you had especially a lot of, you know, good sized VC backed companies who were giving a lot of perks, I think people were willing to sacrifice the, you know, the the salary. They were willing to do the very, very interesting work. But I think that there's a level of fatigue now, now that people are, okay, I want to be remote. I want to actually have a nice, healthy salary wherever I participate. And people are really taking a hard look at the equity as you see things like, you know, the fire movement take off, right? Financial independence, retire early, or, you know, a lot of people, you know, see this financial uncertainty, they realize that their equity should result in something of value. So I think many people are asking the question, and this is where, you know, in, in my community, you know, many people, you know, we have these conversations all the time of how do you actually select the best companies based on your risk profile? And more and more of those conversations are being had. And I'm trying to encourage them, frankly. And tell me about the, the book that's coming out specifically about that. Well, thank you so much for asking. So, you know, I'm going to be publishing next year from No Dota IPO, which is a, a proven playbook on how to trade your time and talent for equity. What this is, is I have based on my story and then based on interviewing a lot of other technology employees that have had, whether it's, you know, successful acquisitions, serial successful acquisitions or serial IPOs, is being able to provide this framework, you know, a true, you know, playbook where people can go through, do exercises and do due diligence it's just really important that we put this back into the community to give people this framework of what's allowed other people's success and to really kickstart this conversation about, you know, technology equity and, you know, can it lead to this lifestyle by design, right? And, and painting that, that path. So what are some important considerations that people should look for in, in finding those companies? And then what about leaders? What types of things should they be thinking about in, in, you know, attracting the right kind of employees? Well, I think so many, the first thing that people need to do is, is, as I tell people is number one is working for equity is a phenomenal idea. If you're going to choose to be a W2 employee and you want to work for somebody else, always work for equity because that's how you compound your career compensation. I think that's point number one in thinking like an investor with your career. Number two is, know your risk profile. Mm -hmm. And I want to say this again so that people understand is know your risk profile. I know for myself, my first endeavor into a startup was very early stage. There was, you know, less than 10 of us. And I had come from technology consulting where I was working in, you know, Fortune 500 companies, you know, helping them go through digital and, and cloud transformation. That wasn't the right fit for me, quite honestly. My skill set, I it's a huge difference. 
And I realized because I was programmed, I think like most people where, you know, the high risk, high reward is the only place where there's money. And it's not true. You know, I, I have a story in my book about a woman that I coached who was doing the same thing. You know, she was at a high risk, high reward, early stage startup, had all her equity locked up and she really wanted to go and pursue her passion in real estate. I, I encouraged her to go look at post IPO startups that were really had just gone through an IPO and were getting ready to grow. She was very suspicious. Like, why is this? This is contrary to what I've heard. And I said, well, based on your criteria, number one is you want liquidity now. You want to get start getting equity right this moment. So you have to go to something where the liquidity, the equity is right there. And then number two is if you look for something, you know, most people underestimate that when a company just goes through an IPO, there's still a lot of growth to go. These companies right. that are coming they're out. Done. They're not done. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of upside there. And so, you know, she was able to then go to work for a company that, you know, she got a 20%, you know, increase in her already six-figure salary. She got liquidity in the first month. And then they also gave her downside protection as well. So if the value of the stock went down, um, they would then, you know, give her more shares to match it. So it was protected, if you would. That's nice. And then not just that, this was you know, the company was Lyft and she joined in mid 2020. So it shot up from $20 a share to $60 a share in the next, you know, over the next 12 months. So she was, she harvested over seven figures. And, and so this is the point that I'm trying to tell people is like, look at your risk profile, because what we hear always in the media, right, is not always like tied to what what's important for you and where you are in your career. And so that's the second thing. And then the third thing is, you are the asset. So whatever experience you're in, you need to make sure that you're, you know, what I call, you know, categorizing and being able to talk about your career capital, which is your education, your experience and your results is because even if you were with a company that didn't go well, you achieved results. You are part of different programs and projects. You need to be able to talk about that because when you're sitting down across from, you know, the hiring manager, they have what you want, which is the equity, but you are the valuable asset that they're going to trade for. And so I think, you know, when you think about managers, right, I think that it's really important that hiring managers think of how they're going to provide people the opportunity to grow their career capital. And then, you know, the hope would be that they themselves are not the hope, but I mean, this is what I encourage people to do is to interview their managers and say, have they done their due diligence? You know, what kind of person are you going to work for? Because I think, you know, if myself as a manager, as I was, you know, hiring people, I would make sure that they understood the value of the company, the value of the equity, and what I was going to expose them to on projects that was going to also increase their career capital. Because I believe out of every experience, when you're making an investment of your time and talent, you want to make sure that you're investing in a high quality company that managers should be able to articulate that value. And then also what this role is going to provide to them from a career capital perspective, because that way you're de-risking everything. Because even if the company doesn't do well, you've increased the value of your career capital when you go to the next company. And then if you, if you are able to do the assessment correct on both sides, you will have gotten some good equity and, in, and increased your career capital. So that's the win-win that you're always looking for. I like that. It's always protecting the, the downside to, to really everything. So no matter what happens, you win. 
That's right. That's right. And and I know some people who maybe they've been through uh, other companies, things didn't turn out well. They they then became a founder because they'd invested in their career capital. And they said, I've got enough to go be an entrepreneur. And I'm sure you've seen people like that too, Jeff. If you're always balancing out both sides there, to your point, you know, you're you're going to constantly be de-risking and setting yourself up for the next successful investment when that may come. I think it's a really unique perspective thinking about your career as an investment, which is is really the way that that everybody should be thinking about it because you know we, we've got time and we're never going to get that back. So you know, how do we spend that and what's the return on that? Whether it's just a paycheck or is there more? And you know what skills do you get? What equity? What's you know what what is the upside? So I think that's a really interesting perspective. Thank you so much. And and it and it is true. I think that if people really look at you know, I want to increase the value of my career capital, regardless of where I spent my time. I mean, I spent the first, you know, eight years of my career at a larger technology consulting company, but it helped me shoot up the value of my career capital because of the experiences that I had there. And I do encourage a lot of people fresh out of school to sometimes work for larger companies. I do encourage them to look for companies with equity. You know, while mine did not have equity compensation to people at my level, I actually walked away with a skill set that was highly valued that allowed me then in the second part of my career to then trade it for more for more equity. And that makes a lot of sense. So what were the the biggest lessons that you learned uh, aside from you know working for equity uh, along you know in in your career you know getting to where you are now? It's always always paying it forward always being able to take lessons that you've learned and share them. And that's truly the spirit of what I'm trying to do now is, is, is teach people because working in tech or working in anything, it's, it's a people business. We're working side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And I have received so much from mentorship. I realized too, that, that really growing my career, the more I mentored others, the more I created a informal following, right, of people that then when I went to the next company, they wanted to then come with me and I was constantly able to then put together and build great teams. And so I think seeking mentorship, finding mentorship, super important. And then also uh, surrounding yourself with a very strong peer group that helps encourage you and move you forward and people that you aspire to be like, that you see that they're ahead of you in certain things, that are constantly pushing you uh, forward. That was a huge accelerator to my career as I got involved in a, a professional, you know, paid for uh, networking group of, of super high performers that, I mean, we're still all great friends to this day and constantly pushing each other. Uh, now, regardless whether we're, you know, doing things that are more entrepreneurial or we're still, you know, working in tech. That's fantastic. Yeah, having that, that peer support is so important. And that mentors, it sounds like mentors have had a, a pretty big impact on you. Uh, what, what has that impact 100%. been? Well, the impact has been, I think, I think twofold. Mentors have allowed me to, you know, miss a lot of landmines, right? There were landmines right in front of me and they were able to say, you don't, you do not need to step on that. <laughs> you don't need to do that. And then the second thing is when the times when maybe I didn't talk to them and I stepped on the landmine and I got, you know, blown up, they're able to help put you back together and say, that's actually normal. You know, and sometimes I think when we're in the middle of crisis, when we're in the middle of feeling frustrated or, or beating ourselves up, hearing that's normal, 
to me anyway, is, is creates a lot of relief. And so they're able to then help you recover a lot faster from things that could have taken you down and helped you move forward. That's great insight. I think that's, that's really true. So as, as a business leader, business owners, founders, what can we do to attract people, uh, you know, good people, you know, what should we be thinking about in terms of equity and how that should be shared in, in a way to attract people? It goes back to my model, Jeff, is sometimes even right, like right now in some of my companies, I don't have the ability to give equity. The companies are small and growing. But what I do say is I will help you cultivate and grow your career capital. If you come okay. and you dedicate some time to me, I'm going to give you experience. And and this is one of the things that we would do sometimes in in, in startup companies where you know, people didn't understand our true value proposition, why we had underlying fundamentals. We couldn't pay as much as some of the, you know, larger players in the space or, or players that were arguably well-funded. Maybe they didn't have the best business model. Is we said, if you come here and you dedicate, you know, one, two years, you will walk away with clarity and up-level your skills. We'll make sure that you have clarity in a career direction and where to navigate that. If you can speak into that for somebody and say, I'm going to help you up your skills and, and you're going to walk away from this more marketable, you can then garner a much higher salary because of what you've learned here, that still is a value. And I think that some people overlook that and they always want to think of this monetary or equity compensation when, you know, I think for, for some people putting away sometimes the equity compensation, you know, not forever, but for a short period of time to go and get a concentrated key experience partnering with somebody that can then help you leapfrog to the next level. So what do you think people misunderstand uh, about equity or what are the misconceptions maybe that employees have when they're, they're coming into a situation like that and evaluating it? Well, what I'm really, (laughs) it's so interesting because of all the people that I interview you know, I'd say 90% of them realize that working for equity is a good idea. And mm-hmm. that's where they stop. They're like, okay, I want to work. I got the equity. I signed the contract. I got equity. Okay. Now I'm just going to go to work and they're back working like they were before they had it. So, you know, part of what I'm trying to do is, is show them, you know, a few things. Number one is that equity is ownership shares in the company. So for you, you need to act like an owner. You need to act like a part owner, an investor, right? You're, you're putting your time and talent in there. So what are the company's projections? Are you showing up then at the, you know, generally speaking, you're going to get quarterly meetings. You're going to get updates on the business. Are you tracking that? Do you have a spreadsheet? Are you seeing how things are going? You know, at a more granular level, do you understand the benefits of your equity, you know, in the sense that, if you're getting a pre-IPO, there's usually a lot of tax benefit. If I find that many people don't even think about consulting a tax consultant until post-IPO in the companies mm. I've been in. And, and my yeah. message to them is the value in that is right now. But there's a lot of just fundamentals, Jeff, that I think people think I have the equity. I can figure all that out later. This is really sort of the focus of my education is no, you actually need to continue with that right now. And you need to have a thread that is, I am an employee. I'm working for this company. I'm also a part owner. I need to make sure that I'm maintaining and managing my shares 
that are going to be part of my personal wealth. And I need to be looking at the company and saying, is it performing to what it says it is? It is it meeting its forecast or do I need to make a decision? Because the true flexibility in being a, you know, employee and an owner is the fact that you can take those shares off the table and you can go somewhere else. And that makes sense. It's that different mindset. It's certainly a, a mindset shift of thinking as an owner, not just as an employee. And so you know, just the concern about the overall company. And I think that changes the dynamic of interactions between employees as well, because it's not, you know, I'm doing my thing and you do your thing, but it's, you know, what, what do I need to do to help make my equity, to help make this company grow and be successful? And this is also where I think, you know, we talk about owners and managers. I know that, you know, for myself and my group of peers, where we do talk a lot about, uh, you know, working for equity and being owners is creating that environment in your teams of we are owners. How can we help move the company's mission forward? How do we make sure that we're not just, you know, internal focused as a team, but we're actually lining up and saying, okay, this may be great for our team, but we may need to postpone this so that we can help the company achieve this because that's a big milestone where we all win. We call it an outward in focus where we also need to be all customer focused. Everybody should be focused on the customer. Then it's on the company mission, what's best for the company. Then it's our department. Then it's our team. If we're outside in focused as owners, we should then be aligning to ensure that we're serving our customers, moving our company mission forward, which is that value as well. So companies that are, are pre-IPO, and I think it's really interesting the, the risk profile and just you know where those opportunities are. But if a company is pre-IPO, is there a concern about messing up the cap table by you know diluting it too much or, or getting too spread out uh, with the employee base? Sure, there is. I think that that's a viable risk, and this is something that I think as employee owners that when you go and you're actually looking at your equity offer, you know, asking questions about how many shares are outstanding, understanding how to do a quick, uh, you know, some back of the napkin math to really understand what that means for you is very important, you know, because I think that some, some companies, especially those that are taking on a lot of funding can get themselves in a scenario where they can have some dilution versus other companies. Right. And this is part of my criteria is, I want to make sure that the companies that I'm going to work for are 18 to 24 months from an IPO, that they have not, you know, diluted shares. Like I want to see maybe an A or B round, but I don't want to see much beyond that. So that then there is that clarity of how big is this pool? And then what is, what is my set of shares really mean as we think about some type of a equity event? So I think that works really well when it's uh, a market like we have today, where it's it's definitely an employee market, where I think employees, uh, yeah, unemployment's really low. Does that work just as well in uh, a market where maybe unemployment is higher? Uh, I, you know, I think so, just because, again, it goes back to this whole concept that if you're really focused on your skills and you can really articulate the value that you bring to the company, and this is where I make sure in my book to talk about people need to be able to tell the story of their career capital because many people, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, Jeff, are incredibly talented. Don't like we have to tease their story out of yes, them, yes. Where if they're leading in and they're telling their story and they're excited to be an owner and participate this they can immediately start separating themselves from the competition and and prizing themselves as that 
you know, valuable asset that people really want on the team. And so I think that even in a, you know, uh, buyer's market, if you will, if it's more, you know, employer favorable, I think there's ways to definitely differentiate yourself from the competition so that you can go in and, and be the one that's truly buying for that equity. And I think you and I also both know that success breeds success, right? I know for myself that having, when I went through the Splunk IPO at that point, all of a sudden, other companies that were getting ready to go through those events were picking up the phone and saying, you've had that experience. You've been through that. Would you come and work for us? And I mean, and even some of that still to this day, now that I've been through, you know, a couple more IPOs, you know, now there's even more and more velocity that comes with that. So I think that executing this type of framework over time, not only de-risks things, but also then creates momentum for your career to get you into those positions that you want to be in. I like that. So instead of chasing you, you be the prize. And so you to be able to articulate that story. And it's so important to be able to do that. It's true. And and it was something that I didn't, I didn't really realize till it happened to me. I didn't realize that I had some mentors that were sort of helping shape me, you know, and I'd seen them gone through these multiple IPOs and they were, they're coaching me and guiding me. But then all of a sudden I became the guy you know, in, in my particular role that helped companies go through IPO. And, you know, you have, you know, since I think it is since July of 2020, there's been 750 companies that have gone through IPOs generating over 200 billion, you know, of capital raised in the, in the public market. Like those are the types of companies that are then calling saying, we want your expertise. That's a good place to be in. And, and yes. other people, you know, you and I both know too, that, uh, I know a handful of people that have had, you know, two or three companies, they start up, get acquired, you know, they just, that's what they do. And and if those uh, same team members are being assembled for another company, investors are going to flock to them. Here's our money. Go do it again. You've, you right. have this track record. So yeah, success does breed success. That makes sense. And that goes right along with what you're saying about career capital. So it's going through that process. You're raising that capital up. Now you've become an expert. You know, something that the people on the other side of that don't yet know. And you can be that that prize that uh, come in there and help them go through that same experience. Super valuable. That's right. That's right. And that's where, again, I think, you know, education isn't always, you know, school book education. It's some of those learnings. And they, they say that it's the experience. And then, you know, because sometimes you can have, you know, the experience, but maybe you didn't get the result you wanted. Once you get all three firing on all cylinders, right, you get the experience, the result, your education is continuing education. You're becoming a better executive by, you know, learning to present or, you know, leading teams, et cetera. All of that stuff will then give you that upward momentum that then you're sitting across the table and saying, no, I actually want an additional 30,000 shares. And here's the value that it can bring that represents that. So what is one piece of advice you would have for founders in particular as they're navigating this network of, uh, of employers and, and finding the, the right people? I think for founders, sometimes founders, especially when it's early stage, aren't clear on the success or, you know, I mean, that like that path isn't 100% clear. Um, obviously, there are those we just spoke about that have success, but I think it's being able to speak into employees and say, here's the experience that you're going to get here. Here's how we can help you with your career capital. And then talking to how we're de-risking the business side and we're trying to create a clear path to 
financial success. I think that clarity, transparency, and that type of messaging for employees, they'll find that very attractive because, you know, people, regardless of what they say, and again, part of this has to do that many people don't feel comfortable having this conversation, but they're getting more and more comfortable. But I think if you can speak into that and say, here's how we're going to help you, you know, become better at what you do. Here's how we're trying to create a great financial result for all of us. That's going to attract the right people that you want for your company. Love it. Where can people find out more about you and uh, your book online? Well, if you want to find out more about the book, please go to alwaysworkforequity.com. Again, that's alwaysworkforequity.com. The book is not coming out till later next year, but you can learn about the book. You can uh, sign up and get all sorts of um you know, exciting news, pre-reads, et cetera. So go to alwaysworkforequity.com. And then if you want to hear more, uh, be a part of the conversation, go to techcareersandmoneytalk.com. That is my podcast where we talk about tech careers and money and everything's on the table. That's fantastic. We'll make sure and link both of those in the show notes. And Christopher, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Jeff. Pleasure. Thanks again to Christopher for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. Learn more about Christopher at wealthword.com. It's like forward, but wealthword. And be sure and check out his book, From No Dough to IPO at fromnodoughtoipo.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. Subscribe or follow us while you're there at sassfuel.com. Everyone who subscribes this week gets one spider shield. They may look like regular sunglasses, but serve a higher purpose. And we all want that shield from those spiders in the face. Well, join us next time for our conversation with Nathan Latka. He is the founder of FounderPath, a company that provides non-dilutive capital to SaaS founders. In the past 12 months, FounderPath has given 175 SaaS founders over $100 million in capital. Be a great, great conversation. And our expert next week, Sarah Noel Block, who is an inbound marketing expert and host of the Tiny Marketing Show. If you want more leads and who doesn't, you are going to love what Sarah has to say. So be sure and check those both out next week. And until then, spider-free, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sassfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.